Welcome to our third podcast for Thanks for Your Service. I'm David Hall. Thanks for Your Service is a news and information resource and its focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian Defence Force. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Just search for Thanks for Your Service. Our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net. You can also email us at info at thanksforyourservice.net. In this podcast, we talk to Peter Dunn, who has been running a website called Australia at War for over 20 years. And we finish our tour of the MacArthur Museum in Brisbane, where John Dunn takes us on a guided tour. Peter Dunn runs a website called Australia at War. The website focuses on the home front in Australia during World War II and has over 5,000 pages of historical information relating to our military history. Peter has been collecting the information and populating the site for over 20 years. And joining us on the line from Brisbane in Australia is Peter Dunn, who runs the website Australia at War. Peter, many thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Can you tell us about your website? Well, it's a very large website uh, called Australia as War, at War, as you said. Um, the address is www.ozatwar.com. Um, I only realised um, this morning, actually, that I've been doing this website now for just over 21 years as of last month, um, which is a bit of a reveal for me. But yeah, it's very large. I've got well over 5,500 web pages on the site. Uh, it's all about Australia during World War II. So it's more or less the home front. Uh, I don't talk about the battles in New Guinea and all that. I have diverted a little bit, maybe. I've covered the Battle of Coral Sea, but, but it's all mostly about home front stuff. So it's got, um, it's got areas like military aircraft crashes in Australia, um, all the military camps. You know, um, American, Australian, Dutch, etc., even Canadian. Um, talks about buildings and houses that were commandeered by the military, which was pretty common. Cover all the military units, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, uh, US Marines, uh, Australian, American, Dutch, British, Canadian. And the Brits were here uh, towards the end of the war with their Pacific fleet, helping us out after they sort of defeated the Germans. Um, cover Japanese bombing raids in Australia, of which there were many, um, numerous submarine attacks of everything um, off the east coast in particular of Australia. Also cover um, German U-boat that actually came down um, the west coast of Australia and down below Australia and it made some attacks on some German raider ships. POW camps in Australia, internment camps, chemical warfare preparedness, Signals, intelligence, that's just to name a few of the topics that I do cover on the site. I mean, five and a half thousand pages is, is massive. What was your motivation behind creating the website and running it? Uh, I always enjoyed history. Um, I used to do genealogy, um, was sort of big into that at one stage. I, I, I just enjoy you know, the detective work involved in finding information. And it's amazing what you can find using all the online resources that are available. My research is all done at home. I don't, I don't go to libraries, etc., or um, archives, etc. But um, I guess one of my main aims is to document. Um, I started off documenting military aircraft crashes in the Townsville area, 
and that grew to all of Queensland and then it grew to all of Australia. Then I started covering everything else that happened in Australia during World War Two. So at the moment I've got well over 2,000 military aircraft crashes on my site. But I've got a long way to go and I, I reckon I'll get to about 5,000. So I really want to try and document all those. How much time do you actually spend on the site and doing all your research? Uh, probably too much if you ask my wife. Um, probably most, well, sorry, not most, some, some afternoons. I'm retired now. I retired five years ago as an electrical engineer. Um, but I, some afternoons and pretty much every night as long as I'm not going out for that night. So probably two and a half to three hours each night. So that sort of tends to keep me off the streets at night, um, keeps me busy and occupied. And, and you mentioned some of the topics that you've covered in the website, but what are some of the most interesting subjects or topics that you found during the construction and research for the website? I was thinking uh, today about that, and um, I was contacted a couple of years ago by... Um, fellow, I, I can't remember his first name, but um, he was the son of a, a, a naval um, officer called Captain Roy Kendall. And um, this fellow told me that his father was in command of a group called Secret Intelligence Australia, or SIA, and that they had their headquarters um, in an old house called Craig Royston at New Farm in Brisbane. And it, this fellow lived with his family um, on the Brisbane River in another old house called Amity, which is still there. But the really interesting bit about the story when I got into it was that this um, Captain Kendall, Captain Roy Kendall, actually reported directly to MI6 in the UK. And he had direct access to Winston Churchill. Um, it's a topic, it's an area of interest that's not really been researched by anyone. and. I intend, I've got a lot more info in recent times and I intend to write a, an e-book on it in due course. Um, on paper, he was actually, or SIA, sorry, was a, a member of the uh, MacArthur's Allied Intelligence Bureau, but in reality, he was working directly with um, MI6 in the UK. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the, my most interesting finding um, in recent times. And you yourself have some military background and the family as well. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, well, I grew up in Townsville. I used to play in the, um, all the bunkers and um, um, military aviation hangars that were left over uh, from World War II. Townsville was a very uh, large military base during the war. Uh, I'm actually doing some research at the moment on the large American air depot that was based uh, at, uh, at located, sorry, at the base of Mount Louisa near Garbutt Airfield, uh, for a talk that I'm doing in Townsville in October. The library up there has invited me up to give a talk. Uh, I used to sneak into a very large U.S. Air Command bunker at Garbutt near the airfield. It's actually still there, used as an office block now. Um, sneak into a little hole and play war games with my mates. Um, I went on to become uh, a member of the Air Training Corps, which I thoroughly enjoyed, particularly the uh, bivouacs and yearly camps, etc., at the airbase. And then went on to join the RAF Reserve. Um, other connections were through my dad, who was a member of the 42nd Battalion, um, Adderall Campton. He went on, he was a machine gunner in the headquarters uh, group. 
and uh, fought the Japanese in New Guinea and Bougainville. And my wife's father, uh, John Gulovich, uh, who was born in Siberia, um, went on to become, he, he lived in Air at the time in North Queensland, and he went on to become a pilot with 460 Squadron, out of IF, um, based in the UK. And being a pilot, he flew a number of different types of aircraft, including the Lancaster. And he actually flew probably our most famous Lancaster, G for George, on a mission to Germany on one occasion. So yeah, I've got a few family connections as well. And of course, for those who don't know, G for George is uh, housed at the Australian War Memorial in Canberra still. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a, a very good display, actually. It's really worth seeing. How do you support the website? Because obviously, with the resources that you put into it, the research, etc., and even hosting it. So how do you support it? Um, well, yeah, it costs me a bit to host and for my ISP, etc. and I use quite a lot of gigabytes of data. Um, I do make available online for those who are interested a copy of uh, what, what I call my Australia at War 8 gigabyte USB, um, which contains a full copy of the website, which is now well over 1.6 gigabytes of data. Plus, I put a heap of extra historical data and research material that I've put together. We have another two and a half gigabytes um, on there. Um, the other thing I've started doing recently, about six weeks ago, I did some research on e-books. I, I said I'd never write a book, and I, when I said that, I meant hard copy book, because you write a book. Well, you show me a book, and I'll show you a mistake in that book. Um, but with e-books, if someone shows me a mistake or I find it, I can correct it straight away, like I can on my website. That's why I you know, prefer to do it that way. So I started six weeks ago to um, investigate publishing e-books, and I've now published four e-books in that short period. Mm. I had a lot of background material already collected, of course, so them available um, on my um, USB as well. So it's um, got quite a lot of information on it. The e-books that I've done, uh, Battle of the Coral Sea. Um, one thing I'm particularly happy with is in researching that I discovered that nobody, and I just can't believe this, that nobody has really provided a list online of all those who were killed um, in that battle, mm. uh, both U.S. Navy and um, uh, U.S. Marine Corps, in fact, as well, on one of the aircraft carriers and RAAF personnel who were involved uh, in a number of uh, aircraft crashes. Mm. So that's all on that um, in that particular e-book. I've got another one on the generals called The General's Son. It's all about Arthur MacArthur in Australia during World War II. Another one on military abbreviations and another one on Australian slang. Who uses your website and do you have any, any other professional organisations that come to you to, to use your material? Um, well, I get a lot of emails every day um, from family members of um, you know ex-service personnel uh, seeking information. Plus, I also get uh, similar emails uh, from similar people, sorry, offering me information. But I do get quite a lot seeking information, and one of the things I've produced is a. Um, a sort of a self-help file. It's a PDF file. Uh, I think it's about 25 pages. 
um, giving people uh, details of all the good websites to visit to find information. Yeah. Um, and I've made that available on that um, USB as well. Um, I do get a lot of referrals from the War Memorial, people who approach the War Memorial uh, for info, and War Memorial has then referred them on to me. And uh, generally, I've been able to help them. Because I, as I said before, um, I, I'm covering the home front. Very few people have done that. Um, most of the researchers cover what happened in New Guinea and the islands, etc. Um, that's the point of difference with w- what I do. And what future plans do you have for the website? Um, well, uh, I guess one of the things, as I said earlier, I'm documenting these military aircraft crashes. Um, I've got a long way to go. I want to try to to get to an end with that, but that's going to take me quite a long time. Um, as I said, I've, I've got well over 2,000 uh, documented at the moment. Um, very difficult to find records on some of them, particularly the American ones that crashed here and, and the Japanese ones, I guess. Um, a little bit easier with the Australian ones because there are a lot of very good records on the National Archives website. Um, that's probably my main goal is to finish that off. I've still got many... Um, many camps that I still have to um, you know, create a website for. I mean, I, I know I've got to do them and I just don't have time. It's um, a very long list of um, things that I've got to do. Uh, I also want to publish some more ebooks as well um, and make them available on that USB. And are the, are the e-books only available on the website or, or can people go through? No, um, no, um, they're, they're on the USB, but it's a cheaper arrangement for people to get them through the USB, but they're all available. I've gone through a what they call an aggregator, a mob called Draft Digital, and um, I upload the file to them. They convert it to a, an EPUB format, which mm. is the ebook format, and then they republish it to nine other sites, such as iTunes, uh, Barnes and Noble, and a range of other um, publishers as well. So it's pretty um, pretty good process actually. And and your website again is www.ozatwar. That's one word. O z a t w a r dot com. Where else can people go to find out more or contact you directly? Um, well, I am available on Twitter and Facebook. Um, if you just do a search for Ozatwar, you get me on Skype on O z a t w a r. Just do that as a search on Twitter and Facebook. You'll be able to um, find me there. I've got, I think it's about two and a half thousand friends on Facebook, and close. Uh, I've lost track now. I think it's close to two thousand on Twitter. Um, so that keeps me busy. I'm, I'm pretty active on those. Just trying to to um, you know send out information about um, new things that I learn and. and Whenever I upload a new website, new web page, sorry, I always put a message out on Twitter, which I've set up so that it automatically goes through to uh, to Facebook, so I don't have to do double entries. And and the, the the website is a fantastic resource for those people who haven't had a look. Please go have a look. And Peter, thank you so much for your time today. It's really appreciated. Yeah, no.
No problem. Thank you very much for um, talking to me. Much appreciated. Thanks, David. The MacArthur Museum is located on the 8th floor of MacArthur Chambers at 201 Edward Street in Brisbane. John Dunn is a supervising associate at the museum. In our last podcast, John gave us a tour of the museum. We now conclude that tour. This is where the, the island hopping uh, campaign uh, starts, uh, which is basically bypassing Japanese garrisons uh, on the base the basis that uh, they can never be uh, evacuated. They can never be reinforced or resupplied. So you leave them and they wither and, and they're going to wither and die on the vine. And so he's moving forward at quite a, a rapid uh, rate. Now to come back to your question of uh, the Australian troops, what are they doing at this stage uh, after um, taking Gona? Uh, MacArthur has uh, got to find something for them to do. Uh, because he is determined that the invasion of the Philippines is going to be uh, an all-American affair. So the Australians get the, uh, the job of cleaning out all these garrisons that have been bypassed. It's hard, dirty work, you know, hand-to-hand fighting for no strategic value whatsoever. Instead of just leaving the, the garrisons there, uh, they're eventually going to, to starve and uh, will eventually surrender of their own accord. Uh, the Australians have, uh, have been uh, directed uh, by MacArthur to, to go and take them. And so we lose a lot of good men uh, taking those, those Japanese garrisons um, when there was no real need for them. So eventually uh, MacArthur returns back up here to, uh, uh, to the Philippines and, and uh, uh, invades the Philippines through Leyte Gulf and eventually moves back up uh, and takes the Philippines. And from there, um, he hadn't really sort of thought about what was going to come next, but obviously the invasion of uh, Japan, uh, taking the Japanese homelands, uh, was going to be next. And there were uh, two schools of thought on that. Uh, one was that uh, you have a naval blockade up there and you simply starve the Japanese population. You prevent anything from getting through. That was going to take time and would take a, a, a larger number of ships than uh, you know, Sinpak actually had available to him at the time. Um, the other option was to invade uh, the Japanese uh, home islands and that was going to be an expensive operation. The intention was to invade through uh, this uh, island uh, down here um, and uh, take uh, Nagasaki. They only intended to take half the island. And if that invasion was uh, successful, then they would, uh, the US uh, would then uh, invade uh, the uh, main island and take Tokyo. Uh, the problem was that uh, the American planners at the time estimated there'd be something like half a million casualties. And they didn't think the American public would stand for that. You know, having seen the casualties at uh, Okinawa and Guam and Iwo Jima, etc., uh, the American public was, was not in a mood to accept, you know, these horrendous casualty figures anymore. So uh, they didn't uh, think that uh, the invasion uh, with that level of casualties was was going to be something that uh, would go down with the American public uh, very well. The invasion becomes uh, uh, superfluous after uh, the first atomic bomb is dropped uh, uh, on uh, uh, Hiroshima 
and uh, it was expected that the Japanese would surrender immediately, but they don't. And this caught the Americans uh, by surprise. And the Japanese had two problems. Um, first of all, uh, was unconditional surrender, which the Americans had insisted upon. And what did unconditional surrender mean? Nobody knew. Even the Americans couldn't define what they meant by uh, unconditional sen uh, surrender. But secondly, uh, and of great importance to them, was the position of the emperor post-war. Now, the emperor in J Japan is a very revered figure, and... Uh, the Japanese uh, society would not accept uh, the emperor being dethroned or being put on trial as a war criminal. And so this caused them to hesitate. They weren't concerned about the number of casualties uh, that they had uh, incurred, and the reports are that uh, Hiroshima, there are something in excess of 100,000 uh, casualties. Um, the Japanese War Cabinet wasn't particularly concerned about that because their view was that um, they had a 100 million strong population and that uh, just by sheer weight of numbers, uh, if the American invade, uh, Americans invaded, that uh, they would have to win because uh, they were outnumbered the Americans, you know, 10 to 1, 100 to 1. The second bomb gets dropped on uh, Nagasaki um, and... Uh, uh, the Japanese, um, you know, start to think about uh, surrender. But there's another event that occurs, which is probably um, the, the event that really uh, caused the Japanese to, uh, to uh, surrender. And that was the, the fact that um, on uh, the 16th of uh, August, uh, Russia declared war on Japan. Now, the Russians had always said that they wouldn't declare war on Japan until Germany had been defeated. Well, Germany has surrendered on the 16th of May. Um, and uh, so they were now in a position to declare war on, uh, on Japan. Now, the Japanese were very fearful of the, America, of the uh, uh, Russians coming across the border in Manchukuo and then down the Korean Peninsula and being in a position to threaten Japan uh, directly. And they didn't want that to occur, so time to surrender. Well, was he at the Victoria Barracks in Melbourne, was he, or was somewhere else? Yes, MacArthur goes up there. He was always going to be uh, Commander-in-Chief of uh, the forces that invaded uh, Japan. That had been decided previously. Uh, so he goes up there as uh, the military governor. And uh, uh, he, uh, he is very much revered in Japan, uh, as he is in the Philippines, because uh, he brought a number of reforms to uh, Japan. One of the first things he did was uh, to leave the emperor in place. Uh, so that won him brownie points with the Japanese people. But then he was instrumental in uh, reforming the Japanese constitution, um, and that was based on the American Constitution. And, uh, for instance, uh, Japanese women got the vote for the first time. So uh, he's seen as, as uh, a benign figure up there, not taking uh, revenge on the Japanese, not imposing you know, uh, strict conditions on them uh, that uh, somebody else might have done. So uh, uh, his, he was uh, really responsible in many ways for... Uh, setting the foundations for modern Japanese society.
Carlton Museum's open three days a week, Tuesdays, Thursdays and Sundays, 10 to 3. We do have a, uh, a Facebook page uh, which uh, people can go to and uh, look up the museum there. The website for the museum is www.mmb.org.au and on Facebook look for at MacArthur Museum. You can find links to the museum on our website. That's the podcast for today. We're keen to hear your feedback. The email again is info at thanksforyourservice.net or leave a comment on our Facebook page. Finally, if you're interested in sponsorship and support of this podcast, head to our website or email us. You can also support us via Patreon. The link is www.patreon.com forward slash thanks for your service. Thanks for listening.